Welcome to Almost Here, Around the Corner of Future Technology podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies poised to transform our lives for better or worse are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used. We're just around the corner from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Future Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Juliette Lamar, and we have with us today Philip Andre. He is an expert in payment systems and identity, and he is operating with Philip Andre and Associates. So thank you so much for joining us here today. Well, thank you, Julia, for inviting me. Absolutely. So let's just kick it off. You do so many exciting things. Uh, Give us just a little bit of an overview of Philip Andre and Associates. So I started my career well back in the last uh, last dec- uh, excuse me the last century uh, as a consultant focused on building trading rooms in New York City and ultimately in London, and eventually moved into the card payments area where I worked for a group called Europay International, uh, which gave me an insight into a couple things. One is how our Card payments operated on a global scale. Uh, at the time, our partner was MasterCard, and ultimately MasterCard bought Europay. And the second thing is, is what are these things that we use, these tokens, these devices, to identify ourselves when we are attempting to transact or to introduce ourselves or to otherwise uh, create a relationship? Uh, and as Philip Andre and Associates, what I've been doing over the last decade is helping companies understand uh, their role in those environments, helping them to build out their systems in those environments. I come to the, the whole world with a technology uh, focus and have had a computer on my desk since I graduated university uh, more years than I want to remember ago. So that's <laughs> kind of where I am in the world right now. I mean, this is such an interesting space, um, and it affects it affects everyone, not just big companies, but also just everyday people. Uh, when you're talking about cars, identity, and authentication, um, you know, let's kick it off with, I guess, what are some of the still the biggest challenges when it comes to these these systems? I think the biggest challenge, and I was talking to my father yesterday about how, he's a, a a doctor and spent his life trying to understand history. One of the interesting challenges is how do we introduce ourselves to a foreigner, somebody that we do not have a relationship with in this digital age where there are 7 billion plus people floating around our planet. And when we were going back 400 years, we were talking about letters of passage, which would be the equivalent of a passport. We were trying to find the right word for the credential that I would use to present myself to a Lord in a distant land that would acknowledge that I am Philip Andre, that I have these, this set of skills, and that I should be respected by that community. When we wind that forward to the 21st century, we then start thinking about PII, which is this personal identity information, your address, your social security number, the, the number of your card. Uh, that you use to make payments, the number of your driver's license, all of these documents that are presented to you that you want to be able to use to present to someone else to say, yes, I have the right to drive. Yes, I can make a payment for that service or that good that I'm buying. Yes, I am Philip Andre, and I'm an American citizen, and I want to enter that territory. And our challenge is that 
all of those documents, all of those means of identification, all of those tokens can be counterfeited, can be replicated by the criminal in such a way that they can present themselves as you. And when we move to the internet, and I always remember a particular comic that was in the 1994 edition of the New, the New Yorker magazine, where there's a dog sitting in front of a computer and sitting next to him is another dog. And the, the, the caption on the bottom says, on the internet, nobody knows you're a dog. And it's that idea of how do I present myself in such a way that you, Julia, know that it is me, Philip, that's on the other end of this internet connection, this worldwide web connection, this digital connection that we have established between ourselves. And that's a, that's a new challenge. And that's kind of the area that I'm focusing on these days. It stems out of that payment space. It stems out of the work that I did back when I was with Europay, when we designed the EMV specifications, uh, which is what most of us know is chip and pin or chip and signature or chip and choice. And what's embedded inside a Samsung Pay or an Apple Pay or a Google Pay wallet. And, you know, it's so true because not just in payments, I think payments are probably the most attacked, but everywhere on the Internet you see, you know, people who maybe are not the person that you think they are uh, masquerading as, as someone else. And I think that's the draw about the Internet, but also one of the just insanely scary things about it. Absolutely. There was a, a recent... Um congressional hearing where the Social Security Administration was talking about the future of the Social Security number. And what was interesting mm -hmm. about the conversation is everybody recognized the original purpose of a Social Security number is to identify you to the government. It's your means of submitting your taxes so that the government knows that those nine digits represent you. Now, kind of go from an opposite direction. How many times are we asked for the last four of our social security number to authenticate that we are Julia, we are Philip? And the intriguing mm -hmm. part is too often that's what's happening and they've turned the social security number into an authenticator. And it's never, its purpose was never to become a means of authentication its purpose was to be a means of identification. The same thing with the credit card. Your credit card is a means of identifying you as somebody, a cardholder, that has a relationship with a financial institution, that has a, credit, a bank account, a debit card with a financial institution so that that bank can say, yes, I approve that transaction because you have enough credit in your credit card or you have enough money in your bank account. But we've turned it into something that needs to be kept secret, and it was never meant to be kept secret. So if you go back to my 400-year-old analogy, what is the credential that we're going to present? And when we built the EMP specification, what we decided is we would use a computer, we would use cryptography, and that plate that's on the face of your card has a computer chip behind it. And that computer chip would be able to be used to authenticate that this was the genuine card. If you think about your passport, your passport has a computer chip, almost identical, that is able to identify you to the person, customs and immigration. There's a picture inside that chip. There's security inside that chip. There's cryptography inside that chip. And as we move forward in this world, in the digital space, we want to use digital mechanisms because I can't see you. 
but I can read across the internet something that you possess, something you have. And we end up in this, this world of multi-factor authentication where I have something, a card that is secure. I know something, a PIN or a password, which creates its own problems, and we'll come back to that. Or I am something, I have a fingerprint, my face is unique, my iris is unique, my retina is unique, my DNA is unique. And by pairing what you have, the secure token, with what you are, your fingerprint, I know that you have a relationship with that party that gave you that token, and I know you are the one who possesses that token. So I can present that identifier to somebody else and say, yes, Philip is standing in front of me. Can he have a right to enter this building? Can he pay for what I want to sell him? Can he enter across the border? And this, this is where we are in this juncture is how do we create these, these solutions that will work for the millennial, will work for the I generation, will work for the baby boomers that are convenient, number one, frictionless, number two. And when we say convenient and frictionless, what we really mean is easy to use and effortless. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Yeah. You know, and here's, here's where we kind of get into this question. And, you know, we're, we're, we're very comfortable throwing our identity out in the world. And you think about all the data that you are accumulating. And last night I was talking to somebody about what's happening in the educational system. And I think a lot of us don't understand that Google is happily providing children with notepads. And Google is happily collecting information about those children. What are they clicking on? What are they doing? How are they testing? How are they, what's happening as they use that device? And you think about where we're trying to get to, and you think about data, and you think about identity, and you think about privacy, and you begin to get all kind of worried about, will it exist? And then you begin to wonder, do we care? And I think mm. we care when somebody hurts us, takes our money, but I don't think we care when somebody gives us something for giving them the information. And I think that's kind of the struggle we've got is I want it easy and I want what you want to give me. And I'm comfortable giving you everything there is to know about me to get what you're going to give me for free. But if somebody's able to get all that stuff, then I'm at risk. And how do we balance the education to help people understand that there is a risk to all of this information that you're sharing? And there is a threat because you are sharing it and somebody can take advantage of you and use it to hurt you, to steal from you, to mask themselves as you and to possess your identity and create a mortgage that's in your name. But guess what? You don't have use of the house and you don't have use of the money that they borrowed to buy that house. And, you know, I think a lot of people think, oh, it's not going to happen to me. I'm safe. And the reality is, are any of us truly that safe? Uh, you know, are there certain things that, that people are just not doing? <laughs> or or can you do all that you can, but eventually there's going to be someone who is who is just a little bit ahead of the ball? Yeah, I mean, just look at the numbers. Let, let's take uh, Equifax. It was 143 million Americans. That's half the population. Mm-hmm. You know, let's look at Target. That was 70 million Americans. That's and, you know, I'm, I am positive that there is an overlap, but there is not a union. 
So let's take 143 and let's say that 20 million are different. So I'm 173 and then we take uh, the Neiman Marcus hack or we take the OPM hack or we take the Sony hack or we take any one of the numbers of hacks and the criminals know all there is to know probably about everybody who touches the net today. Mm-hmm. I don't think any of us are safe from somebody not knowing about me. Just, you know, the white pages has got your address and all I have to do is type in your name and I'll find you. Um, if I've got your phone number, I can do a reverse lookup. I, I can find your, I can run a check on your criminal record. I can learn all sorts of things about you. And if I'm skilled, I can get very wealthy. And, and one of the, the math, mathematical problems I present to people is take the 70 million target hack. Okay, there's a number. Let's assume that every one of those identities could be sold for $20 a piece. And let's assume they only sold 10%. There are a bunch of people who got very, very wealthy from that mm-hmm. math. 70 times 20 times 10%. That's a big number. And then you just balloon that out. And 20 is a very conservative number. I've seen numbers. You know, if you live in the right zip code, it's probably worth $100. Uh, if you live in the wrong zip code, it's probably worth $2. Uh, hmm. and, and, you know, the, the, the barrage, uh, if, if I know you where you live, I probably know what you're paying in taxes, which means I probably understand your income, which mm-hmm. means I know who to attack first. Wow. That's, so, I mean, that's like a no brainer, obviously. <laughs> yeah. So, so how do we convince people and how do we build solutions that are frictionless and friendly and, and I think about things like what the FIDO Alliance has done or what W3C, the Worldwide Consortium, the parties that manage the, the, the standards and the specifications around browsers have recently announced where there are now standards that will be embedded into the browser to Chrome and into uh, Edge and into Firefox that will help the relying party, the party that's on the other end of the internet, identify or authenticate that you are present using biometrics, using advanced technology, trying to make it fingerprint, make it simple. And I don't know if you're an Android or an Apple user, and I assume you've got a reasonably modern phone, and that reasonably reasonably modern phone is already supporting biometrics. So it is already an authenticator that is able to match your fingerprint, your face, to the one that is registered to that device. And if I know it's you, if I'm able to prove that Julia is is on the end of that line, and I can ask that device to say, here is something that will prove that Julie touched the phone again the next time you asked her to. Now I have a means of authenticating you on a device that I, the relying party, recognize. And because it recognizes you, it tells me, yes, Julie is present. Move on and do whatever you want to do because you know you're talking to the right person. And that may sound complicated and people like Samsung and Apple and and Microsoft and Amazon and Facebook and Twitter are all working together to come up with these answers to how do we authenticate you on the internet? Because the the problem is not identifying you. The problem is authenticating you because you have a 
you know, you may want to call yourself Mickey Mouse 321 when you're on the Disney website. You may want to call yourself Julie 123 when you're on the, the Facebook website. You can have different aliases, different means of identifying yourself. But the question is, how do you authenticate yourself? And in payments, coming back to where I started, that's what we did with EMV. That's what we did with the introduction of the chip card on the card is we created a way of authenticating the card to prove that it was genuine. What we did with PIN is we were able to tie the card to the secret. And therefore, we were able to say the person who knows the secret possesses the unique card. Therefore, they've been authenticated and identified by the 16-digit number on the face of the card. Absolutely. And I think that people, not everyone, obviously, but I, th- I think that a majority of people think that, you know, someone else is out there looking out for them. They're thinking, oh, well, these criminals are going to get caught by law enforcement or, you know, someone, the companies are, are going to make things more secure. But in reality, it's extremely hard to catch these these people who are who are doing these malicious acts. And it, the responsibility does rely a little bit on the consumer to protect their own identity. You you say a little bit, and I would argue that <laughs> that term is too, is too light. Uh, because yeah. if you think about a corporate, what, what does Facebook want to do? They want information about you so they can sell stuff about you to some advertiser so that they can get wealthy. You know, what does Walmart want to do? It wants to sell you stuff, and it wants to present you stuff with stuff that they think you're going to buy. You know, what, what does Target want to do? They want to sell you stuff. Their interest is in their bottom line. Their interest mm-hmm. is not in you. And, and I think even that's with Target, the they that had that, that hack. Yes. That's the piece that we have to think about. And even though Target got hacked, people are still shopping there. You know, Target didn't go under because they got hacked. Nope. Absolutely. And, you know, they, 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 they did the mea culpa and the CEO lost his job and everybody thinks the problem is fixed. And it, you know, we raised the bar. But the criminal, go back to my math, that 70 million times 20 times 10 percent, that's a big number. And that's a big profitable exercise. You put 100 people in a in a building in St. Petersburg who are going maliciously after the American marketplace, getting rich while they're sowing dissent. Uh, and mm-hmm. we've, we've got to get to a point where, you know, and, and you, we've all seen the new Facebook ads where they're saying they're going to. You know, clean their act up again, and I hope they do. Um, but I think we have to participate and we have to be willing to take on part of the responsibility. We have to be willing to say, I want to be authenticated. I want you to know it is me. And if it takes me a second to, to touch that fingerprint scanner or to take a picture of my face or, or, or to do something, to, to change my password, because I want to be, I want to help you protect me, then I think we get where we want to go. So I guess what are the first, what's the first couple steps that people can take just to be a little more secure and, and then go from there? First step is, for example, if you've got, if you are accessing your bank, please make sure that you are using a password that is not your dog's name, your mother's name, your, your birth <laughs> date, that it, that is something that only you can figure out because you dis- you invented it as a unique something that has no tie to anything else. That's kind of number one, protect 
your assets by controlling and managing your passwords. Number mm-hmm. two, start pushing your financial institutions, the players to step it up, that make the argument, passwords are not good enough. I cannot manage, you know, and you and I probably have 150 plus digital relationships. I can't mm-hmm. make 150 passwords up that are all unique and that I'm going to remember and never write down. So we need to cause the industry to step it up. We need to turn around to Congress. We need to turn around to state legislators. We need to turn around to companies that we work for and say, passwords don't work. So please, my phone has got a biometric. Use this, the, the ability of my phone to authenticate me. My PC has got a fingerprint scanner on it. Use the fingerprint scanner to authenticate me. My PC, my laptop has got a camera on it. Take my picture and make sure that my picture matches the registered picture. So the relying party needs to make it effortless. And we need to be the ones who are demanding that they make the effort to make it effortless and secure. Absolutely. Those are some really easy steps that you can take that really don't take that much time out of your daily schedule. No, no. You know, and that that's the secret is, you know, it's kind of like politics. It's kind of like, you know, what's happening on a global scale. We have to become interested in our own security. We have mm-hmm. to become interested in our own government, in our own, you know, Space. I mean, we have to care about the planet. We have to care about litter. You know, we have we have to take ownership and responsibility and become good stewards of our identity and everything else that surrounds us. No, you're, and that is it rings so true. I think for so many different things. But but if you can't care about yourself, no one else is going to. No one's going to care about your security. That's not their nope. job. <laughs> no. And nobody's going to care about the beauty that surrounds you except for you. Nobody's going to care about the air that surrounds you except for you. So all of these things, all of these external factors, the only person who will make it make a difference is when you stand up, we stand up, I stand up and say, no, I want greater security. No, I want a cleaner environment. No, I want a more peaceful world. It's up to us to make those decisions to push and advocate for the necessary security, the necessary mechanisms, the necessary tools to make our world a safer place. 100%. So, Philip, where can people get more information, you know, if they want to to get more involved with with Philip, Andre, and Associates, or they just want to learn more about you, what's the best way for them to connect? And I know you also do speaking presentations. The, the, the best way to connect is, is through my website, and my website is uh, A-N-D-R-E-A-E dot C-O-M. I'll repeat that, A-N-D-R-E-A-E dot C-O-M. Uh, my LinkedIn profile, which is P. Andre, same spelling. Uh, my Facebook, same spelling. Uh, my Twitter feed, same spelling, P. Andre, um, are all mechanisms to find me. Uh, Google searches work beautifully. I was one of those people early in life that decided I wanted to be able to be found on the Internet. Mm-hmm. I was, And frankly, I actually think it's because I made myself so public that I'm actually more secure. Well, because you're, you're aware of it. It's... Out there. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. But I mean, I, I forcefully put myself so that my, if you typed in Philip Andre into the, into Google search, I should cover at least three or four pages. And, and I think and, that that's a good takeaway is that, you know, you can be on the internet, you can be visible, you can, you can be in many different areas and have many different connections and still be secure if you take the proper steps. You know, this is not to scare people into, into not using technology. It's, it's really just you have to do it smartly. Yeah, and, and the more you use it and the more you expose yourself, the safer you become because I, the identity I want to steal is the one that is not recognizable. Mm-hmm. I, I want to no steal one's gonna the question. people who, yeah, but if, if, if you steal somebody's identity who's out there, I mean, try to steal Donald Trump's identity. <laughs> yeah. You know, try to steal, you know, the, uh, Michelle Obama's identity. Try to steal Bill Gates's identity. These are people that have put themselves in the public eye and to steal their identity. You know, we know what they look like. We probably even know what they sound like. Mm-hmm. That's a, that's a um, very know, good, and, very good fact. Yeah. Well, Philip, I'm I'm so happy you took the time to join us here today on Future Tech Podcast, and we're going to have to have you back on to talk more and more about this because it is an ever changing um, problem and solution <laughs> that we are working with. Absolutely. And t- today being my first introduction with you. Uh, you know, we kind of covered a large space, and I would be more than pleased to spend time looking at particular subjects and helping to educate people on what they can do to protect themselves, to avail themselves of the tools that are out there to make smarter decisions about how they engage, make smarter decisions about how they make payments on the internet, because they, you know that in the end, commerce is what we want to buy and what we want to do which costs money and payments need to be something that we're comfortable using without fear. Absolutely. Philip Andre, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. That is Philip Andre. He is an expert in payment systems and identity. He is operating with Philip Andre and Associates. Thank you all so much for tuning in today to Future Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Juliette Lamar. Catch you guys next time. You've been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.